Good morning, church. I appreciate the, um, the lead-in this morning, Landon, that song um, we sung a lot growing up. Um, I like that, that, um, that sharp bass line, that, um, that tempo, that, uh, the idea that, um, that there is a purpose and there is a, a great um, reason for us to be here this morning. Um, it is also um, apparent to us this morning that we need strength. Um, we, we sang a prayer just a second ago that we need strength to live our lives courageously. And um, it is difficult at times to manage our worlds, this world, um, our church, our families, all the above. Um, so this morning as we, as we endeavor into responding, um, and that is our goal for the year, um, we do definitely um, need to be thoughtful in each moment um, what that response should be. It's not just as easy as some assume just to quote a scripture or to put in place um, an attitude and to think that that's going to carry us through all of our circumstances. Because as, as good as we are and as, um, and as much as we want to challenge the negative in our world, sometimes we let negative creep into our lives and sometimes we're not as good as we should be. Um, every human deserves a savior and thank God I'm one of those that need a savior as well. Because we talked about last week, we are not our God, a God ourselves. We're created in the image of a God, but we are not omnipresent, omnipotent, or, um, or omniscient. We don't know everything. We're not all-powerful, and we can't be in all places at all times. And so we need to embrace that struggle and to celebrate our success. And our success comes from our Father in heaven, and we've sung about that. Um, as we talk about the fine line between success and failure this morning... We need to, um, to rest in the fact that our God is in control, and we are not Him. And by allowing Him to be in control, allowing Him to be the Lord of our lives, we let Him dictate what it means to be successful. We let His Word tell us what it means to be successful and how we can reach success in our lives. And we get outside of our own success stories enough to realize we will fail. And at some, and at some point, we're going to have to respond to that failure. Everyone will. The invitation that we offer at the end of every um, Sunday service just isn't convenient because we're here together, but it's necessary because at any given time in our lives, we have to respond to that failure that we, we come into contact with. We, were all, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we need that redeeming story of um, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the power of our Father in heaven to guide us toward success. It is time to recapture the sanctity of our calling and the priestly character of our labor. And this morning as we think about responding or being responding to the success of our calling, we have to understand that we are, we are busy every day and we have responsibilities to do things, to be timely, to, uh, to be productive, to answer questions, to make decisions. And this morning, before we begin, I want us to realize we need to recapture the sanctity. We need to set apart to be uniquely purposed for God's will, the character of our labor. Because our labor oftentimes is more dictated by what our boss says, or what our world says, or what our neighbor needs from us, or maybe a, an organization in our community that tells us how, how tall our grass should be, or how... Um, how how loud our music should be. We have all kinds of ruling bodies, governing bodies in our lives. And, and at times, we meet those standards well before we do God's. 
And it's time for us to remember that we need to be set apart in all decision-making so that the character of our labor represents the son that was sent. So this morning, um, I want to look at a, a verse here out of 1 Corinthians. And this verse is challenging. It speaks specifically to um, issues of circumcision and divorce and remarriage and, and struggles within the church. But, but, uh, but it, it rings true today for a number of reasons. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches, Paul says. Paul says because there's a lot of confusion of what laws and rules need to be in place so people will live set apart in their lives. And of all the rules that's set in place for every church and every culture that the world has ever seen, mercy and grace still need to be apparent. We talked about that last week. Without mercy and grace, that's the heartbeat of Christianity. Rules and regulations don't really answer all the questions that God has for your life. So, in this case, if you look at the, the, the account here in, in the following verses, should someone who's circumcised be uncircumcised? Because that's the rule of the law of the land? Someone who is, who is living in a certain circumstance, do they need to go fix that before they can follow God? No, as you're following God, our circumstances need to transform and adjust. Now, we need to live by a higher standard. And ignorance on those standards isn't an excuse for us. Because the Bible is clear on how we should live and answers the questions that the Corinthian church struggled with. But at times, we still come across unbelievers who are ignorant to some of these things, some of these ideas, and living by a standard set apart from the world. So do we want them to magically figure that out before they can be a part of us? No. We need to set that example with grace and mercy by the lives that we live and the scripture that we believe in. It's challenging. It's challenging because some of the things that we see out in the world disgust us, and we want to have no part of it. And some of those things rightfully should. They're against the will of God, and God is, uh, is not pleased with those things. But some things are merely our opinion, our political stance, our cultural reference, and the way in which we've grown up by the traditions that we've seen. So some decisions or circumstances cannot be undone, church. So how do we respond? How do we respond to the people who have made mistakes in our lives? How do people respond to your mistakes? Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, the, the Christ-like people in my life have given me grace and mercy when I do, do not deserve it. And a number of still do today. And I appreciate that. That helps me understand how I can help deal with the unchurched, how I can deal with people within the church, within the group of believers, within those who would consider themselves to be like Christ to help me understand how at times we fail at being unified or completely loving in our responses. Living called to God's circumstances today can be done, and change and transformation is a byproduct of our faith. And so if we believe that in ourselves, and we're here this morning because we are trying to grow and transform into something more like Christ, then as we engage our community and people in our world, and as we go on missions of mercy across the world, surely we'll not forget the grace and mercy that's been shown in our own lives. Now, the byproduct of that does not exclude the, the truth of the word. And the, and the examples that are set there, not only through Christ himself, but his writers. 
We have responsibility to go there. So to failure to embrace our calling, the failure to embrace our calling is a dangerous one. Because sooner or later, sooner or later we will all, everyone will discover their calling. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30 says, whoever is, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And there's this decision-making process with Christ that we're either for him or against him. And sometimes you don't know. As well-intended and as good as you think you are, you may be against the will of God in your life. You may be against the, the example of Christ because our traditions run deep. In our truths, we are, we are firm in those foundations. But there will become a time, there will come a time where everyone will sit at judgment and have to be responsible for the decisions that they make. Now it's overwhelming to think that in every decision that I have, I'm choosing God or not. I'm choosing Christ or not. Because it's, it's challenging. Do we put that much thought into every decision that we make? The words that come out of our mouth, the actions that we participate in, the things that we think about. Oftentimes muscle memory kicks in and we say things that we regret instantly. And sometimes we think things that we can't, we can't understand where they came from. Those are all byproducts of the foundation that we live on. And last week we talked about building our house on the rock and the foundation of Jesus Christ. And in our scripture reading, we're reminded of those foundations as well. And sooner or later, everyone must discover their calling. Everyone will face judgment. Everyone. Everyone living or dead will face the judgment of God one day. And at that time, sooner or later, you're going to be reminded of the choices that you've made. Now, you won't be proud of, and no one will be proud of, every decision they've ever made in their life. But choosing to be called like Christ gives me freedom in Christ to dwell in a mercy and a grace that I do not deserve. And our world desperately seeks that. And it doesn't allow me to avoid Christ in circumstances that are uncomfortable or difficult in my life, or they're inconvenient for my pocketbook, for my popularity online, for my friend group at school, for the time that I, that I need to be successful at other things that are outside the endeavors of the church. Those are all things that we should be thinking about. But those are all mature thoughts. And honestly, our children aren't even capable of thinking on those, on those, um, on those levels yet as their brain develops and as their lives continue to, um, to push forward and have challenges in all kinds of certain different circumstances. So it's so important that as a foundation, our young people have the church to guide them, a youth group to support them, people to disciple them, to walk through life together. But as adults, we know better. We know how we should behave, and sometimes we choose to not be benevolent or edifying or evangelistic in our lives. We have a responsibility I don't know if anyone still has one of these laying around. This one's in my office. Um, I did a sermon on 1 Peter chapter 2, um, and I handed rocks out, and I asked you not to throw them at me. Um, I'm not redoing that sermon. But as, uh, as the scripture reading came up, and I was excited about this, it reminds me of that taste, that taste that God is good, right? You ever tasted something, and immediately you're like, I need to go back to that. I want more of that in my life. Right? It may be a specific food. It might be a certain type of pizza. It may be um, um, a, a certain dessert that you just can't get enough of. And it may not even taste that good in normal circumstances, but at camp it always tastes better. Right? Right? There are certain times where water just is more quenching than other times. 
when you're, when you're pouring concrete in the Dominican Republic. It doesn't have to be cold. It just has to be wet, right? So you, you, you kind of go to these places where something just tasted so much sweeter, so much better. And, and for us, our faith tells us that church just tastes sweeter when we're here together. But I don't know if that's exactly true, church. I think this experience is a sweet experience and one that we should get a taste for and the desire we should have a desire for in our lives. But I think evangelism and, and missions and service and benevolence, quietly going about your lives, affecting the lives of others in, 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 in ways that are, that are loving and, um, and charitable, those things you can acquire a taste for as well. Having an opportunity to speak up for the unspoken, those who can't speak for themselves, having an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, getting the taste of that can be intoxicating. And for some, so much so that they begin to put themselves in his shoes. And be careful. We need to follow his example, but not try to become God ourselves. We are a chosen people. We have a responsibility as God's people to build our lives on a foundation so that when it rains, and it will rain, it will stand. But to call people out of darkness, because we ourselves were once lost in a dark place. And there's some who live in a dark place daily trying to find the light. And for those of us who have conquered the dark place in our life and have tasted what is good and live in it for the majority of our, our daily lives, it is foolish for us to assume that others should just be able to do that easily. Not everyone's circumstances are as easy as ours. And some need more mercy and time and patience. We have a responsibility to forgive and to live amongst people so that through our good deeds, through our Christ-like example, people will glorify how good our God is. So that people can taste something good that's from God. Now, I am not God. And, and your taste in what a, 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 a sermon is like or should be, I may not be that sweet to your palate. You may not appreciate what comes, the words that come out of my mouth. In fact, someone else's take, Widlord's take, or someone else's take here at church might just be the way that you need to hear it. And I expect you should listen to that. But what I'm telling you this morning is coming from somewhere, somewhere greater than myself. Sooner or later, everyone's going to have to respond to the calling because sooner or later, we're all going to be in the pit or the pig pen. You know, the prodigal son is a story about God calling, God giving, um, God giving his sons an opportunity to do the right thing. And one chose to take that calling and go do something terrible, to waste um, God's generosity and to live a sinful life. And what do we learn about that story? That even in the pig pen, God still calls the lost. And when they return, God runs to them. God calls the ones who remain faithful to continue to do the work. And hopefully, with an example of love and mercy to those who are struggling with making right and wrong decisions. But even in your most wrong decisions in your life, God is still calling you back. His Spirit is still convicting your heart to do the right thing. And so my challenge to not just youth, 
but to adults, to anyone who will listen, is when God convicts your heart to something, listen to it and look for an opportunity for redemption, an opportunity to you, for you to come back to a Savior who is running to you. And let God's, or let your faithfulness be a foundation in your life. One that even if you don't live perfectly, will be an example to others. Romans talks about a different type of foundational stone. This altar that we should live our lives on. That we should offer our bodies a living sacrifice. One that's holy and pleasing, that's set apart and pleasing to God. Just giving God the things that we're going to do anyways that aren't godly doesn't, doesn't mean it's set apart or holy. Saying, well, God, I'm going to go do this, and uh, whether I should or not isn't really that big of a deal, but I'm going to give it to you. God doesn't want it. God doesn't want your sin. He doesn't want you yielding to temptation. He doesn't want you doing just enough or coming and going through the motions. God wants a set-apart sacrifice, something that you've planned and prepared in your life that is pleasing to him. So it takes effort and work. God doesn't want our happenstance or just because we are in a position and we say, well, you know, I'm going to give that to God today. God wants you to be prepared in that. The world tells us that there are a lot of patterns that can transform our lives. There are things that we can do that that will make us successful. There are certain habits of successful people. There are books written about it. There are people who make millions from it. And the Bible is true on those on, 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 on specific ways in which we can be successful in this world, but not by the world's standards. We're to abstain from certain things in the world. We're to abstain and wage war against certain things. And by failing to be defined by the world, we allow the Spirit to write our calling and to punctuate our lives. If we let the world define us, who we are, what we want to do, who we aspire to be and what we want to become, what, um, what measures will be defined successful by the world, then the world will determine what you're going to do. The world will tell you when you'll stop. The world will tell you when you end. And the world at that end point will tell you how well you've done. And I don't want that standard to mark my life. In the commas of my life where I'm taking a pause, I want God to be there and his spirit to speak to me. And the question marks and the periods and the exclamation points that punctuate my life, I want a merciful and loving God to be there to dictate those things. And not the world, because our world is not favorable to us. It is right now as you're serving it, but once you're not useful to the world anymore, you're useless to the world. But the redemption story of our God is different. When you're useless to the world, and the world wants nothing to do with you, he says, give me your life, and I will make it purposed. I will repurpose it. I will give it a new standard of success. God's calling leaves room for godly opportunities. When we're consumed by the world, the world will consume us. It will chew us up and spit us out. And at the end, all will be failures in this world. No matter how many times you've paid for your own space travel, or you've cured diseases, or you've made billions you've gotten likes or followings online, or you've been an influencer in certain matters, or even elected to a specific office that makes you the most powerful person in the world, the world will then get tired of you. They will chew you up and spit you out. And not just you, aspiring successful people, but your children. And not just your children, but the successful people that went before you, your parents, 
live in a society where when you get old, you're not as good as you used to be and you're not worth much anymore. That is not how the church operates. Thank God that's not how the church operates. But we live in a society that tells us when your time is up, your time is up. I believe we will all face that time when our time here on earth is up. But a godly mindset failing to be defined by God's standards tells me that a judgment, the time that follows the time in this world, that's the taste. That's the taste of goodness that I want to have for eternity. I want to sing to God forever. I want to bow before him. I want to fellowship with his people. And I want to know that the punctuation, the end of my life, is only the beginning. In Matthew chapter 6, we're reminded that we can't serve two masters. You'll either hate one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one or you'll despise the other. And in this, point, in this case, you can't love God and money. There's a choice between God and money. And then maybe you take out money and you can't, live, you can't choose between God and uh, maybe a, a, physical, um, a physical thing that you like. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is that takes your heart away from God, you can't, you can't live with both of those things in your lives. The prodigal son had to choose, and he chose to come back to God. The, the rich young ruler was faced with an opportunity to choose, and he went away sad because he chose money or he chose the things that defined him in the world over what could define him in God's world. Jesus says to his disciples in chapter 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So there's a choice between God and things. There's a choice between God and ourselves. We need to choose between God, the big G God, or the little God that we feel like we need to uh, cultivate in our own lives because we think we're good enough. We think we have it figured out. If you want to really follow God, you've got to give up yourself. You have to give your heart to God. You have to choose. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole wor world and forfeit their soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So deeds matter, right? Nah. Action's important. But those deeds aren't going to save you. Only the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. Only redemption through death on a cross. So carrying your cross is important to remind you of, the, of your need for the cross. And carrying your cross is important. Because we need to be in denial of ourselves. We need to be in denial of things of this world. How can we make our money? How we make our money is not what makes us. Our calling allows us to find fulfillment through Christ instead of the world. Oftentimes when we talk about calling, we think it's who we are and what we do. I am a teacher. I am a nurse. I am a... Um, a skilled worker at, in a hospital. I am a construction worker or a, or a tradesman or a craftsman. I am a student. I am a, a husband or a wife. And we think that all these things define us uniquely. And what defines us is Christianity in those circumstances. Your calling follows you because in all things, as you are going, as the Great Commission says, we need to be called to a certain standard. Not just of how we live, but who we are living for. The lost and the left behind. Those that Jesus came to serve. 
And so as we look for fulfillment and we talk about calling, it is very important this morning that we understand how we are defined. We're not defined by this world, but we're defined by Christ. And of all the things that we need that are necessities in our lives to survive, we do need a job. The Bible speaks of how important it is to not be lazy and to work. We do need relationships, and the Bible speaks about how we should honor those relationships and live in those relationships through obedience and self-sacrifice and humility. We do need community. And even when community doesn't fully represent us, represent us in our own streets, but here in the church, we still need to bear with one another and live amongst each other in unity because together we are stronger. We need a mindset focused on something greater than what the world tells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we've been in a lot of places, this isn't one of those we're going to follow a, a, a certain scripture, but I do want to point out specific things this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And Matthew chapter 6 tells us that we should seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to us. We have the opportunity and the freedom to seek many things through a faith in God. In fact, many things are blessed by God. God can give us a decision A and a decision B, and both are good blessings from God because our God is good. But we still have to seek God in those circumstances and his kingdom purposes in our lives as we're going through those circumstances. And as long as our calling involves him over us, will be blessed, that those will be blessings to him. When those circumstances become what we need and what we desire and what the world tells us we should have in those circumstances, then we become the God in those circumstances. And that's not what God wants. God not only wants us to choose between the world and his things and the world's things, he wants us to choose between him and other people. God wants us to choose other people first and then him over ourselves. God not only wants us to put ourselves second, but he wants to put other people in front of ourselves. We're supposed to love God and love others. And I think we're to love ourselves, but not above God or even above others. Now, there is a time where self-care and loving yourself is important. And maintaining spiritual, a spiritual healthy outlook on your life and being counseled and disciplined and, and discipled in your life and to studying how you can become stronger and better and more knowledgeable. But knowledge doesn't necessarily give you the key to heaven. Neither does service alone. Love has to factor in. Obedience has to factor in. Humility has to factor in. Christ gives us all these examples. Those, Paul, Peter, those who we read from today, are only following, merely following the example of Jesus Christ in their life. They're trying to seek him first and then figure out what they do secondary. And for some, it was a difficult journey. For Peter and Paul both, a difficult journey to figure out what God really wanted through Jesus Christ. Even with him directly in front of them, they still struggled with what that translated to. So wherever you are, Whatever you're doing, with whomever you're talking, we stand on sacred ground, doing sacred things, saying sacred words. There's nothing necessarily special about this holy ground that we sing about when we're here at church. 
And in our streets or in your homes, there's nothing sacred or holy about it. It's not some holy of holies place where only God exists. God is in all places. He's, a, he's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and, and in all places. That's not our job. Our job is to see God in those places and to know that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, and whomever we're talking, we have the responsibility to be set apart with a holy calling because our foundation is built on something different than the world. And that means our potential is different. That means the outcomes are different. That means it tastes different. And so when people say, how have I seen Jesus Christ in the world? They'll get a taste of it through you, and it won't be as sweet as seeing Jesus themselves, but it'll be much sweeter than the world is going to offer. That image of God is going to be much sweeter than any image of God that we can give alone ourselves. So whenever you're trying to be like Christ in a, in a broken vessel, make sure you balance in his scripture, that you admit some of your shortcomings, that you allow humility and self-sacrifice to be balanced in there with the good that you can give. Because in all circumstances, as we are going, we have a responsibility. Our one simple truth this morning is failing to find fulfillment from the world allows room for God to fill your life with calling. Failing to find fulfillment from the world allows room for God to fill your life with calling. I've read this through a few times. I said, Lord Beth, read this. This is supposed to be one simple truth. And it is one, but it's not simple. And I don't know if I could say it any, more, any, any, simply, any more simpler. I could mess it up and then make it more confusing. But um, I don't know if I could be any... any any clearer with what I'm trying to say. Because the, the reverse is also true. Allowing, allowing the world to fill your life will create a calling or a dependency upon the world. So you either give up on the world and let God fill your life, or you give in to the world and let the world dictate your outcomes. And the, the, the fine line between success and failure is with the world, you're going to fail. And with God, you're guaranteed success. It may not look successful in the world, it may not feel successful in the world, and it may not be as easy as success in the world, but it is worthy. So this morning, as we're faced with an invitation, and we have an opportunity to put perspective on what our purpose in the world is, our callings may be different, and you feel connected or driven towards certain things. Certain, certain areas to participate in here at church. Certain challenges that break your heart. Certain areas that are opportunities to benev be benevolent or um, to lift others up, to learn and to, uh, to evangelize, to be the church. Support each other in those endeavors. Walk together in those circumstances. And understand just because someone's struggling with the truth in those matters doesn't mean that you never did. And then as we seek the taste of God's goodness, it does mean that we have to start digesting more than just milk, but chew on some things that are difficult to, to digest. It would be easy if we would just rid all sin and temptation from our lives. It would be easy if we just took this group of people and put them in a community where we separated ourselves from the rest of the world and we lived together in a holy manner. And I suspect sin would follow. I suspect temptations would still be there. 
And without a heavy dose of godly living in the Word of God, we would fail in those circumstances as well. Church, you have an invitation this morning, one to be called like Christ, to choose to become a Christian, to follow His plan for your life. We've seen that example followed through by some of our youth And some of our adults have come forward, even publicly or privately, and said, I am struggling and I deal with circumstances that are out of my control. And that's what our invitation this morning is for. For those of us who are here, it's for us to have a chance to respond and and to to pray about and to to deal with those circumstances together. But those who are listening online or hear this later, the invitation is true to you. Go to God in your homes. Find God in a church in your community and choose to live his life instead of the world's because it's far more rewarding and there's a lot more assistance than what the world is going to give you. Church, this morning as we continue to embrace the fine line between success and failure, understand we're successful because our God is good, but those failures are important because they make us better and they allow that taste of God to be full of joy You ever tasted something that's always sweeter after you've worked for it? You put in a little effort. It's a little more rewarding. Oftentimes with um, gifts for kids at Christmas, they're excited about it, but then a year or maybe some months or a year go by, and you find it kind of collecting dust over in the corner doesn't mean as much. But if you give a kid an allowance and you allow them to work for something that they've been looking forward to having in their lives, they take care of that thing a little better. We all need to be responsible for our faith and to have a role in it. We need to support each other in it, but it is not my job to do it for you, nor is it your parents, nor is it your parents who have gone before you. It is our responsibility to collectively work at this together. I'm, I'm thankful we're responding as a congregation, and as we have an opportunity to respond this morning, I pray that you have a need. Please come, and together we stand and sing.